You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is the amazing, the one and only, your dear friend and mine, Andrew. You may have hyped that up just a little too much. It went on a little long. Are you saying we're not friends? Well, that's the part that I think we could drop. The amazing is correct. But yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. We are here at CES. CES is, of course, the annual consumer electronics show, and we come every year to find all the best things for you. And what we're looking for specifically are things that work with iOS, things that revolve around Apple or connect to Apple, and things that are weird and wonderful. Because CES is one of those shows where there, there are a limited range of options, right? The options are something may never be released. It may never see the light of day again. It may be released in nine months or a year, right? And, and what's the other option, Andrew? Uh, it's actually released now or before the show, which is, it is rare. But we saw a few of those things this year. Yeah. Now, what would you say is the biggest news of the show? The biggest news, I think I'm excited with just the breadth of HomeKit that we are seeing this year. I mean, Apple had that special presser event to highlight some of the things, and we just randomly out of nowhere got TVs as a HomeKit category, just got added, and we saw four big players adding AirPlay 2 and three of them adding HomeKit to those TVs natively. Right, and so those players are in order Samsung, LG, Sony, and Vizio. Yes, and Samsung is the only one who isn't adding HomeKit, so it still has the AirPlay functionality, but some of the Siri stuff, some of the HomeKit stuff is not going to work. And, and of course, we'll find out more information about that as that develops. My commentary on this is that it's really interesting that Apple is writing applications for Samsung's Tizen OS. I mean, they've written, I mean, they have the Apple Music on Android, so they do some kind of and they have the moved iOS apps and they have That's some, my personal favorite right there. Right? That's my favorite, yeah. Yeah. And they so they've written for Android before and of course historically before that they wrote for Windows. But Tizen was Samsung's escape hatch away from Android. Right? There there's this this going back and forth between Google and Samsung as to who's dominant in terms of who represents Android. Of course it's Google's brand, but Samsung sells many 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 Android phones and people associate it with it. So if Samsung wanted to have dominance in the marketplace and not be beholden to Google, they could migrate their users to Tizen on their phones. And for the most part, people that aren't really invested in an ecosystem would follow. They ended up using it as the operating system on their TVs, which is, you know, a good place for them to have put it. They also use it on the, uh, the gear watches uh, that, that were gear as opposed to Android Wear. So... It, it is interesting to see Apple give them that consideration and think that they're they're obviously a big enough product line to do that with. Um, LG, for that part, is using WebOS or has used WebOS. They, they got WebOS out of Palm. Palm Pre was announced precisely 10 years ago at CES. So that operating system is still knocking around, although, man, we got to pour one out for the Palm Pre because that was John Rubenstein's project after leaving Apple. Mm-hmm. The we're going to do some more digging and find out if, in fact, the, the TV services and AirPlay that we're talking about 
for LG are actually on the WebOS TVs or if they're on one of the other models because LG also uses Android. So it's not entirely clear, and we've got some research to do. Yeah, absolutely. we got to go hands-on and try those out for ourselves. It's a rare day. Andrew, you know what? We need to request some review units of TVs. <laughs> I think so. Just all of them. We're Apple Insider. I'm sorry. I'm, I need an 80-inch. It only works on the 80-inch, I think. Well, I mean, no, let's not but say it works that. Best. It works best on the 80-inch. That's fine, but we know for a fact that, that you know, Vizio is going to be doing it on their P and E series and, and D series, which There's are affordable. There's a wide range of sizes, yeah. Right. I was kind of hoping they would see uh, TCL, because TCL is a low cost that's got Amazon Fire TV and had Roku TV, and it seems to me that, well, they wouldn't have wanted to put it on one of those. They could have certainly put it on a TCL that wasn't running one of those. Yeah, which that's would have true. been interesting and would have been a great way to get, you know, the uh, the commonly sold in Walmart or the commonly sold in Target set. Yeah, I think I saw Roku took a pretty big hit after all this too. Roku Roku stock actually rose Did the it? other day. Yeah, they went way up. But I thought um, it went down after all the airplane news. I briefly saw this morning when we had like 30 seconds in an elevator or something to glance at news for 2 seconds and I think I saw that it took a hit after all the airplane news may have but it was already up some mm-hmm. ridiculously large number like like a really large number in the the you know 20s 20 points up kind of thing yeah which yeah. is a big growth yeah i think i saw number 10 percent it dropped afterward okay but up 20 points and knocked down 10 is mm-hmm. 10 10 percent is not bad yeah you know and good on them because it is a hard business to be in the streaming business you know it, it You've got a lot of competition from your Amazon who can sell to pretty much everyone. You've got a lot of competition from Google with Chromecast, although that's not hmm, as, as, as interesting a player because it lacks the remote, right? People are, are addicted to their remote controls. But I think one of the cool things that we get out of the HomeKit compatibility for TV is that it makes the need for something like a Logitech Harmony go away. Yeah, it does to a point. It doesn't get rid of the Apple TV like some people are kind of throwing around. It doesn't act as a as a home hub. So if you want to access your HomeKit stuff remotely, that's not what it's going to do. But you can use Siri to turn the TV on and off. I believe you can adjust the volume. You can say things like play, pick a movie you want, play. Uh, right, play this from that service, which is the common syntax you get on a Google yes. Chromecast for that matter. Mm-hmm. Now, the but that's what a Logic Harmony has been for. Mm-hmm. And that's something that our, our esteemed... Emeritus Editor-in-Chief Neil Hughes was doing for years with Logitech Harmony was trying to be able to control his television and home entertainment by voice. And Logitech had talked about, at some point, the Harmony Home Hub Elite becoming a HomeKit-compatible device, but it never did happen. Well, I think we just haven't seen any HomeKit hubs yet. We had IOTA last year, um, the abode IOTA, trying to be that HomeKit hub, and kind of hearing whisperings again this year. So I think that just meet, might be something in HomeKit that Apple is still certifying. Yeah, I mean, this is Logitech talking in 2015, mm-hmm. and it, it didn't take place. And that's okay, but I, I think the beauty of this is that uh, it gets rid of the need entirely. You know, the, the way of Harmony doing things is with infrared, sending commands around. And here, by making it a part of the data stream and then using HDMI CEC, you do a lot better. Yeah, you do a lot cleaner now. I, what's being done here in terms of Apple bringing iTunes and movies to the TV? It's not Apple TV. They're not bringing no. TVOS. TVOS remains on Apple TV, the device. And if you want the full experience, that's your way to go. 
if you want to be a part of uh, iTunes, Apple's movies and TV shows, and potentially the programming that we've been hearing about, hearing them produce in uh, in what, Culver City, yeah, then this is the way that they're going to be distributing that. It seems like a likely fit when they do launch that. They just happen to now have a bunch of TV sets on the market with the iTunes, iTunes movies all built right in. seems like it could be a very natural fit outside of the Apple kind of natural ecosystem. Now, Gene, years ago, used to talk about, Gene Munster, used to talk about Apple building a TV set. Yeah. Right? Every earnings call. Every Gene, single one. Gene raised his hand. Steve, are we going to build a TV set? No. And Tim, Tim, Tim are we going to build a TV set? No. And now... This is this is Apple kind of doing that, the same way that Apple gave the uh, the monitor business to LG. But they are going to be make their own monitor again. They already announced, re-announced that they're going to be making their own Pro monitor with that Mac Pro that we should see this year. And I I kind of feel as if they're doing that because the LG took such a hammering over Wi-Fi interference and not being as high quality as people expect of Apple. I didn't love the look of it either. It just didn't feel like an Apple product. Like I'm still rocking the old Thunderbolt cinema display and it still looks good and still matches everything. Resolution, everything else isn't up to par, but it still looks great and still feels more natural than the, the LG displays did. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about some of the other things that we've seen here at the show, but I need to just take a moment so this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Blue Music. Now, they, they produce blue microphones. They, they make the really cool headphones, uh, Lola, Ella, uh, Sadie. These are some neat headphones. And I, I, for years, have used some of their microphones. People, a lot of people use the Yeti. A lot of people love things like the Raspberry. Um, they, they continue to make great mics. Well, they've got a new one. And the new mic was just announced here at CES. It's the Ember. It's a studio XLR mic for professional recording, YouTube production, streaming, and podcasting. And it retails for $99, which for a blue microphone is astounding. You know, I'm used to things like the baby bottles that, that cost $1,000 kind of thing. It's, or Fireflies or some of these, these other products that have been around that are used in actual studios for music production. To get a studio quality mic for $99 is a great way to enter recording. Or, hey, you could make your own podcast. We do. So, like I said, Blue offers a full range of USB and XLR studio mics, and we're using one to record today. I think we're using, what, a mini or a baby or a something? It's a mouse, actually. It's a mouse. I'll get it right. And from podcasting to YouTube to music, you know, if you're a storyteller, Blue wants you to help amplify your voice. Visit bluedesigns.com to learn more. I think I'm pretty excited about that new mic. I know we're going to be having a review of that very soon. I'm excited to see how that sounds, kind of fits into the lineup of uh, what we're used to. I think what we ought to do is ask their their fantastic PR person if they could just provide a couple for the podcast, and then we can uh, test them out and have all of you listeners tell us how good or bad they sound. In fact, give us that feedback today on this episode. Go ahead and email me at victor at appleinsider.com and say whether you thought today's production came out okay compared to how we usually do. So, Andrew, if you had to define what this was the year of at CES, I mean, everyone asks, so what was the best thing you saw at the show? And that's a terrible question. I don't even want to ask that. <laughs> it's a terrible question. You, you see so it's many hard things. to pick a thing. It's nuts. What, what would you say this is the year of? 
it seems there it's a year of a lot of things. It seems to be a year of a lot of people filling in their portfolios of or their lineups of missing things. We're seeing a lot of home kit companies adding in additional products to kind of fill it out. We're seeing a lot of people adding new form factors for wireless chargers. And we're seeing a ton of fast chargers and USB-C really kind of uh, adopting. So just a lot of filling out things from last year that we maybe saw a little bit of in this year, just kind of just en masse. Like everyone seems to have some new version of fast charging, USB-C, hubs, docks. A lot of that stuff just really blew up this year. Yeah, I would say that I have seen more HomeKit this year than I did last. Agreed. I kind of was looking at it ahead of the show, what we were going to see and expect and, you know, working on our normal roundups of everything HomeKit for this, uh, for the CES show and everything. And next thing I know, there's like a ton of things. And it's been a struggle to just film everything at the show, trying to find everything, track it all down. There's an astonishing amount of new HomeKit gear this year. And I have bad news for you, Andrew. What? You're going to miss something. Oh, no. You're going to. It's just too big a show. To give you guys at home a perspective on what the show is like. So there's Las Vegas Convention Center, which consists of three halls, North, Central, and South. Now, South is split into three levels, and it's split across two actual buildings. You have to cross a parking lot with a golf cart to get to the <laughs> other side. That, if that wasn't big enough, there's also two floors of stuff in the Sands Convention Center in the Venetian Hotel. If that wasn't enough, there are events held at the Mandalay Bay and Mirage and Wynn, which we've gone to. Those are uh, Unveiled, Showstoppers, and Pepcom. On top of all that, there's stuff going on at the Westgate Hotel. There, and, and among all of this, people have their private suites. So to try and get to all of this and cover all of it is both a nightmare and nearly impossible. It's been, it's been rough. It seems more spread out this year than, than normal. Which is the same thing we said last year. Yeah. Now, I, I think that among products, things that I've seen, I would say that I'm seeing a lot more video doorbells. Yes. You know, I think of things like Netatmo, mm -hmm. the, uh, the wonderful French company that make a HomeKit doorbell. And they've been telling us, when I, when I went to them, I grilled them. Because one of the problems with a video doorbell is you press the doorbell and it notifies the application on your phone. You get a push notification. And then you have to tap on that push notification. And then it opens the apps. You wait for the app to load. And then you have to wait for the video to acquire. So how fast can the video, how fast can you do all those operations to be able to see who's at your door? And, you know, on something like, I, I have the Ring version 1 on my door at home. And it takes me a good, you know, 8 to 10 seconds for that to happen. By which time the Amazon guy's already thrown the package at the door and walked away. Yeah, happens all the time to me. I've got the, uh, a newer one than that. I don't know which Ring model. Pro, Ring Pro, Ring 2 something, yeah. Ring 2 something, yeah. And Netatmo was telling me that theirs happens nearly instantly. It seemed quick in the demo. I was, I was very impressed at how quick that showed up. But it is a demo, so it should be they're, in a pretty ideal environment. They're on their home network. Mm -hmm. They've got everything. Yeah, you've got to be really careful because if they've got their own Wi-Fi, that's very different than being out in the world with cellular when you're trying to see what's actually happening. They are not alone, right? TP-Link mm -hmm. announced a doorbell. Now, Netatmo is HomeKit. Mm -hmm. TP-Links is not, although we have been really, really putting the screws to them to try and find out if it's going to be. Yeah, they're not saying too much about it. So hopefully, down the line, possibly, they just added HomeKit to their Casa Mini Plug. So they, they are adding That's an HomeKit. outlet switch, right? Yeah, just yeah. a normal outlet, um, pretty common HomeKit world, but it is progress towards going into HomeKit. Well, if they've done the one and they find that the yeah. one works for them, then, then mm -hmm. maybe they can consider doing the rest. Yeah. 
And we would like that. You know, we want more of these kinds of things to be available. Now, obviously, Google Assistant was ruling the roost here last year, and Amazon Alexa was big as well. Those two still remain very big in terms of device support. And that's because Apple and Amazon make it so easy to do. Yeah. It, it really comes down to those guys use a web service. You run your own well, cloud. Google and Amazon. Right. Google and Amazon run their own web services and you write your own web service and cloud and authenticate with them and then your app stuff pretty much works yeah apple for the is a little bit different in that apple's stuff works when there's no cloud service in place you can have your own local network up and have no internet connected and control all of your home kit devices it's a lot more secure in that respect yeah even over like the bluetooth stuff like, I love the, the Eve Flare, just the HomeKit light, and you can actually just take that with you outside. You can take it on a picnic, and you can still tell Siri to change the color. And because it's Bluetooth and it doesn't rely on anything you know, cloud-related there, it can just still send a signal and, and work right. on the go. Now, if you want to control Bluetooth devices in your home when you're away from home, what you end up using is iCloud. Mm-hmm. And iCloud and your Apple TV or your iPad or your HomePod act as the hub to send Bluetooth back to that device. Wow, what what else is what else are you doing here at the show, Andrew? Well, um, I also wanted to mention for the for the doorbell, it's not just Natatmo who's announcing a HomeKit doorbell. We're gonna have to see who's gonna be the first one. We also saw one from a Netherlands-based company. It's the uh, Robin Telecom, and they're announcing the Pro line, and that is also angling to be one of the first HomeKit doorbells out there. So it's gonna be a little bit of a showdown to see which one actually gets there, and see how it's actually gonna interact with HomeKit. From what we've been told. Not only will it have the motion sensor and the camera exposed to HomeKit, but you'll also be able to trigger scenes from the button press. So they press the button, and you can use that to turn on lights inside or uh, outside in the patio area using some of the pretty new Hue outdoor HomeKit lights, uh, all that kind of stuff. So there's a few different HomeKit aspects that we'll want to play with. Right. And, and of course, one of the things that happens when you ring the doorbell is that you get a preview of the videos of the home mm-hmm. notification. So you like get a nice, a, rich notification. Right. You, you get a little bit of the ability to see who's at the door directly from the lock screen, which is handy. Yeah. Now, there are some of these video doorbells here, and not all of them HomeKit, that are doing things with cloud services and machine learning uh, so that they can identify faces and then you know record an image of the face that was at the door, and you can whitelist the ones that you know versus the ones that you don't. Yeah, we've been seeing that a lot of the AI stuff... Uh... Arlo's adding a lot of their AI smarts to their cameras. Uh, not all of them worked out. I know Lighthouse Camera, they were a huge AI camera company. They had a bunch of really cool things you could do. Uh, they completely folded, unfortunately. The, the price point was really high to add that AI stuff in there. So we're seeing some of them just doing it naturally, just building it in, and others it's adding as a like a subscription service to add those extra AI capabilities, which I think is a good, good option. If you want that more high-end experience of getting certain notifications, it can be a subscription service. Exactly. And this is, you know, one of the things that I have been seeing that I do like is that in the past, being able to review footage that was recorded by your doorbell camera was one of those things that required a subscription. Ring operates that way, for example. Which means that if you've missed the person at the door by, you know, 10 seconds, you, you've missed it. You don't get to see mm-hmm. Many companies are doing things that say you can have the storage locally, 
and be able to keep that storage. They'll record to a micro SD card. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll save it to your own network or to your Google Drive or Dropbox. And and when I was digging into that, it seems that being able to record directly into iCloud is a little bit difficult at this time. So that explains why that's that's not happening when you're talking about an Apple supported product otherwise, the or or an Apple compatible product otherwise. The thing of it is is that I think there's something very nice about having access to that video as opposed to the subscription service. If you have to pay, you should be paying for machine learning and analysis and stuff like that as opposed to your footage of what happened at your house. I do. I much prefer that. I like. I would love if Apple, you know, in June maybe added something to HomeKit where you could save those things right into iCloud. I already pay for quite a bit of iCloud storage, and I use it. That's a natural fit to expand their services. You need extra iCloud storage because you want to be able to store more of your... Um, your HomeKit security footage directly into the cloud, view it on your Mac, iPhone, iPad, whatever it's going to be. And that would be a good opportunity for Apple to review their iCloud pricing mm-hmm. and tiers. Yes. You know, five gig is not cutting it for anyone, Apple. <laughs> <sighs> well, what else should we do before we go back out and, and break our feet trying to walk this hall? Um, I don't know. I, I'm excited for, for some iPad keyboards. We saw a couple of those between... We saw Zag. We saw the new Bridge one. Uh, I feel like there was a third one in there, but we've seen quite a few of the new iPad Pro keyboard. And I was not a fan of Apple's new Folio. I just thought there was quite a few design problems with it. I'm not going to rehash that. Everyone can go look up our reviews and you'll see my opinions there. But I had quite a few problems with it. And I, I like these new keyboards. The Zag one is really nice. The keys, the new switches in there, they feel better than the ones in the past. The Bridge one, obviously, is very premium. And Bridge is even having a included protection, like a back cover for your iPad, that connects using the same magnets that Apple's Folio does. And it's like a leathery, very nice premium feel to it and adds that back protection. I like it a lot. So I'm liking this trend, giving us some more options outside of Apple's really expensive Folio. Well, and and Zag is really approaching it from a different perspective, right? Zag Mm -hmm. says that Apple makes a very nice one but that theirs can be more rugged or that it, it has greater drop protection. Because let's let's be honest, if we're talking about the Apple one, there's not a lot in the way of drop protection. Where they mm. where, where Zag is going for three foot and six foot drop protection. They have a lot more versatility in it too. I mean the keyboard is, is actually detachable, which you couldn't do. So then you still have an iPad with a case and a kickstand. Yeah, the easel stand. And then you have a keyboard that is remote. The keyboard is also can connect to multiple devices. You can alternate between your iPad and your iPhone, your iPad and your Mac, something like that. There's the Apple Pencil storage hidden away. Yes, there's um, yeah. there's a lot of different versatility that we don't get from Apple, and it's still pretty slim. It was very slim. One of the things that I liked about the Pencil storage is that so that they basically, above the function row on the keyboard, they've got a little divot carved out where you can rest the pencil, which is handy if you're typing and then using the pencil alternately. And you can close it on it, and the pencil will store in there. Now, I, I know people that use the uh, Apple one and m- use the magnets to attach the key, the pe- pencil to the top, and it will fall off if you're walking around. That's not a place to store your pencil. It's just nice to charge it there. Zag thought enough to say, here's a place where you can use it when you're actually using the keyboard and also store it nicely, which, which is good. Points, yeah, it's a points good awarded thought. for that, yeah. They've got the room there. Throw it in, and that's a good idea. Points awarded. This is exciting. You know, we... We've taken a lot of time here. I think we need to get back out there. I think so. We still have a lot to see. Too much to see. I know. 
I know it. And, and we're going to be seeing people like iHome and, and some of the others that are traditional coming up in the next couple of days. Yeah, and if you guys want to see anything else regarding CES, make sure to check out AppleInsider.com and our YouTube channel. We're posting tons of hands-on videos, really in-depth stuff that goes beyond the standard press releases that you're seeing. So really check those out, too, uh, if you haven't already. Go ahead and email me at victor at appleinsider.com. Let us know how the production went. Let us know your thoughts on CES and what you really wish you could see more of. What would you like to know about? And we will be back next week.